Mic check, mic check. Where the f is my check? You now tuned in to do rags and boat shoes. Go ahead and get this turned down. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy A Double, and you're now tuned in to episode uh, what is this 117 of Do Rags and Boat Shoes. First things first, we have to uh, say uh, rest in peace to the brother Craig Mack. Uh, this brother just passed. Uh, it was what was it Monday night? We learned of his passing. Um, went viral today. That brother was only 46. I don't know what he was battling, but uh, may he rest in peace. He always he gave us the, the the classic flavor in your ear, the regular version and the remix with uh, Biggie Smalls, and he was the first artist on Bad Boy. And I remember, I always remember that picture of him and Biggie and Puff in a restaurant. They had the uh, the Big Macs, you know. It was. Uh, pushing their singles and things like that so may he rest in peace and he gave us you know a, a, a classic song that will forever be rocking i don't care who you are when the beat comes on you know what song it is you know you got a puffy you know hitting them glass bottles to, together and it's like bad boy you know so uh may he rest in peace and uh you know we have to throw on that flavor in your ear instrumental you know as the background tunes so let's go ahead and get started on that good old summer jam screen. Uh, let's see where we're going to go ahead and start. I guess we will um, already say rest in peace to Craig Mack. So uh, let me get my notes together. So just bear with me. Uh, looks like uh, we're going to have to give a shout out to Ghana. So we're going to put them up on the summer jam screen. Nothing negative. Um, so there was an article in the New York Times about Ghana being having the uh, world's fastest growing economy. And that's according to the uh, African Development Bank and the World Bank. So if y'all remember, uh, what was it, back about 10 years ago? So about around 06, between 06 and 08, I think it was around 08, um, oil was discovered uh, off the shore of Ghana. So with oil prices right now back on the rise, y'all see them gas prices, you know, creeping back up to kind of i just hope it don't get as high as it was in that bush era boy that was a beast when you paying almost five dollars for a gallon of gas whoo that was tough that was tough but yeah so with uh oil prices back on the rise uh ghana's economy is skyrocketing so it's projected that in uh 2018 uh the economy growth will be between about 8.3 and 8.9 percent and uh, with numbers like that, it could outpace India and it's going to topple Ethiopia because Ethiopia has been uh, Africa's fastest, uh, fat fastest, <laughs> fastest growing economy uh, for the past 10 years due to like coffee exports and uh, agricultural production. So Ghana could so Ghana will pass up Ethiopia if this uh, trend continues. Um, Ghana also produces natural gas, and that's at about a rate of about a thousand cubic feet per day. 
and it looks like outsiders like Tullo Oil, you know, and I say outsiders in quotations, and I say they're helping, and I say in quotations, uh, Ghanaians with their liquid gold mine. You know, only thing I hope is that the people of Ghana, the Ghanaians, and uh, the uh, government, you know, are reaping some of those benefits. And I'll post some links in a YouTube story uh, that Al Jazeera ran. Al Jazeera ran when they. Uh, first uh saw those gold those uh liquid gold mines so that oil so uh that's pretty dope right there to um see what's going on in ghana and i hope that you know there's not any economic hitmen in the area who want to just you know uh rape and pillage those resources and then you know leave uh the uh people of ghana just kind of you know uh with their pockets empty and full of lint so shout out to them with that and uh let's see what else we can put on that good old summer jam screen okay so it looks like right now my good old red state of nebraska let me get my microphone right give me just a second there we go so it looks like um the state of nebraska is in some uh, hot water as always um it's being investigated by the uh, ACLU. I don't know if y'all saw this story, but uh, Mother Jones ran a story. The ACLU ran a story. Um, local newspaper here, the World Herald, ran a story about this. Um, so the ACLU is uh, asking the feds to investigate Nebraska about acquiring illegal drugs for their lethal injection. So they're trying to use like uh, fentanyl in their... Um, lethal dosage of uh, you know execution for lethal injection and they're trying to figure out where the fuck you gonna get this fentanyl from and who's your supplier so that's that's the main argument so like i said numerous news publications you know are reporting on a request from the aclu to the dea on how the state of nebraska has obtained fentanyl without dea approval so that uh, meaning that the state has obtained the drug through illegal means and the state plans to use a lethal four drug dose to uh, execute. Uh, what's that guy's name? Jose Sandoval. Here we go. If y'all uh, I know Nebraskans probably remember this name, but uh, this was back in 02. He was a he was a ringleader of a botched armed robbery back uh, in Norfolk uh, that left five people dead. So now if y'all remember. Uh, this is from my Nebraskans here, my black Omahans. Uh, back in 2015, uh, Nebraska legislature, and I believe I spoke about this in one of the earliest podcasts about uh, how legislation passed to uh, repeal the death penalty. And then we had this scumbucket ass governor, Pete. I can't run my father's company, so I run the state of Nebraska into the fucking ground rickets you know, back the ballot initiative in 2016 to bring back the death penalty. And that mega donor money from uh, Papa Ricketts, you know, who's worth over $2 billion, I might add, uh, helped convince uh, small towners to bring the death penalty back uh, overwhelmingly. So now Nebraska hasn't executed anyone in over 20 years. And uh, that was back in 1997 with Robert Williams, who was convicted of uh, killing three wim women. So we ain't executed nobody in fucking over 20 years, 21 years. And then, you know, we had these fucking small town hicks all around here who voted. And I can't, you know, I've been saying that Omaha was liberal and shit like that. But with fuck ass uh, Creighton University bringing uh, their uh, their uh, bringing fucking Ben Shapiro here. Shit, you know, I might be looking at some options to get the fuck up out the state. 
Um, but you know, you have these small towns who are really about that, you know, that bigoted life and uh, you know, corporal punishment or capital punishment, whatever the fuck you want to call it. And uh, we ain't really, we haven't. I should, I'm saying we like I'm pulling the switch or injecting somebody, but the state of Nebraska hasn't killed anybody in over 20 years. But you got folks who are just who just are just sheep, sheeple who are uh, easily influenced by political ads and, um, you know, different mailers and shit like that. Like you should see some of the mailers that you get, you know, during um, election time and when it's time to vote on an issue. Some of them motherfuckers just be just flat out blatant, disgusting and bigoted and shit like that. But um, but I remember back as a kid and this reminds me of, uh, you know, back in around what was that, about 94 when motherfucking uh, Harold Ote. Y'all remember Walking Willie Ote? Um, this this is you, you got to be an OG to remember this. You got to be a part of that. I would say that 30 plus group. You know, this is back in '94, so I was about 10. Yeah, so 10, 11, 10, 11 years old. So, um, walking Willie Ote, he got executed, and uh, and I remember on the news. I remember this clear as day. Um, they were showing on Channel 7 News. They were outside the uh, the. Um, facility where he's being executed at and there was um you know there was young white folks in the street just yelling fry willie and you know a name like walking harold walking willie ote that was a black man right but um you know it's just one of those things where you know i i will never forget that you know there's always a there's a group of people in a dominant society that just you know kind of get a hard on for black death and that brother, uh, Dr. Tommy J. Curry, you know, he speaks about that in his book, The Man Not. But uh, Walking Willie uh, Ote got convicted of killing Jane McManus back in the 70s. And he kept appealing his death sentence. And Biggest were so mad about it because he kept winning those appeals and, uh, you know, stretching out his uh, penalty process. And, um, you know, Walking Willie said later on that uh, detectives, you know, fed him details about the murder and forced him to confess. But, you know, I won't forget some shit like that, you know, being 12, 11 years old, you know, watching the news and seeing them folks yelling fry Willie at the top of their lungs and just as happy as a pig in fucking mud. Um, you know, that's just something that's just one of them. You, you, I don't know if you would call it a traumatic event, but that's one of those things where you just kind of keep in the back of your mind. And it's just something that just sticks with you, you know, and, uh, you know, politicians in the state was, run, you know, was, uh running with this thing and um you know it was like one of those willie horton things you know what i'm saying like what uh george george bush senior was running you know it was kind of the same thing but just in the state and you know when they finally executed them you know people were you know i think every fucking bigot that was you know rooting for this probably had a you know an orgasm off, off of that shit but um back to this uh the state of nebraska so um, so the reason that the ACLU is following this is because there hasn't been a registration number. The DEA gives out registration numbers to institutions and people that handle drugs regularly. So the Nebraska State Penitentiary numbers only uh, registration numbers only allows it to handle schedule. Uh, I think it's IIIN, which is like testosterone, um, anesthetic like ketamine, which is that you know it's kind of like. Um, 
Uh, it's like a, a souped up version of like Icy Hot, you know, Numb Some Pain, and then Schedule IV, so like vol volume and shit like that, and only the hospital uh, staff or the portion of the penitentiary can administer those drugs, and they must be patients. And the lethal injection is said to include, uh, let's see here, uh, what is this called? Give me just a second. Uh, diazepam, which is a sedative, then that fentanyl to render the pres prisoner unconscious, and then uh, sista, sistra curium, which is to uh, sister, sistra curium to paralyze the inmate, and then finally potassium chloride, which is going to stop the heart. And uh, if y'all know, this ain't the first time that Nebraska been under fire. Just about three years back in 2015, uh, it was the same thing with this lethal injection deal. Uh, they tried to import sodium thiopental from India, and the FDA stepped in to stop the import uh, due to the drug not being approved by the agency. So the ACLU is suing so that Nebraska will have to give up its fentanyl source. Um, so we will see how the courts will rule on this. So that's to be determined. And that's kind of funny because them trying to give, if they find out the source, then maybe they'll find out, you know, what's going on with this opioid uh, epidemic. Because right now, not only do you got fentanyl coming in here, you got that fucking elephant tranquilizer being shipped in here, imported, called car fentanyl. And that's like, well, like, I think a thousand times stronger than uh, regular fentanyl. It's like a hundred or a thousand times stronger than regular fentanyl and it's like a fucking elephant tranquilizer and what they're doing is they're you know mixing it in with uh with heroin you know chopping it down and trying to give these fiends a a, a higher high you know for a lower cost you know as far as a lower cost to the drug dealers and things like that so we will see what happens with this uh whole um you know fentanyl situation because it might give up some company overseas that's really been important and legally into the states so we shall see what the fuck's going to happen with that um and i think that's pretty much all i got for the damn summer jam screen so the summer jam screen's a little bit short right but um hold let me know what the fuck you think about this oh hold on hold on hold on, hold on. What the fuck is going on with your man's Jewel Santana? Y'all been following that? Uh, Dipset rapper Harlem Harlemite? My man uh, dipped from the TSA agents because he had a gun in his carry-on. Then my man's turned himself in, what was it, the day later? Like, what was my man's thinking? Like, I don't think my man's was thinking at all. Like, I, I don't know how high you have to be or how lazy you got to be not to pack your own bag. And you thought you was going to get on a plane with a burner. I just, I don't understand your thought process. Um, somebody needs to talk some sense into that, brother. And uh, and this was in, I believe this was in New York. So New York don't play that shit with their gun laws. They have some of the strictest, strictest gun laws in the country. Um, but uh, hopefully, you know, Hove can fly him a paper plane hat. Help him out with that Rock Nation shit. And uh, let him know what you got to say, Hove. Don't be the next contestant on that summer jam screen. I smoke rocks. I smoke rocks. All right, thank you so much, Tyrone Biggums, for that lovely intro of selling hope like dope. You know what, Tyrone? Where was you at last night? Was you in New York packing Jewel Santana's bag? Probably was you. Probably was you playing. But anyway, let's move on to selling hope like dope. Uh, there was a story out of Iowa, just my neighboring state right next door. 
about a youth counselor at a juvenile detention center. Uh, she was arrested for helping three juvies escape and she had sex with one of them. Uh, Hannah Rose Fitzpatrick pleaded guilty to sexual misconduct with a youth offender and she drove so the story is she drove three juvies to a location and she had sex with one of them and uh four oaks juvenile detention center was selling hope like dope to hire this woman do y'all know that this woman hannah is only 19 years old now why would a 19 year old be working as a counselor at a juvenile detention center exactly exactly you know, at around that age, I was working at Blockbuster and blowing my co-workers back out in the kids section after we was closed. You do dumb shit. You do dumb shit when you're that young. You just do dumb ass shit. You know, they, I don't know how they put their trust in a 19-year-old at a juvenile detention facility. That's, that is just wild. Wild and fucking dumb. Just out here, just, you know, just got they hopes up and and it turned out to be a dirty bag of dope but anyway who else was out here selling this hope like dope national geographic magazine been doing it for years so npr ran a great article about uh the uh national geographic you know for finally owning up to its bigoted imagery and coverage of black and brown countries so for decades, Nat Geo magazine always catered to white folks through the lens of stereotypes. You know, darker people across the globe uh, was portrayed as savages and they showing English speaking Western civilizations as the cream of the crop. And they're admitting to it. So what brought this admission on? Well, this uh, upcoming April issue of Nat Geo is going to tackle race. So it forced the editor-in-chief, Susan Goldberg, the first Jewish woman to take the helm, to look at Nat Geo's own history. So she asked University of Virginia professor John Edwin Mason, who's a professor of African history and a history of photography, uh, to look into it. So the professor Mason went through almost a 130-year history of Nat Geo and found that up until the 1970s, the publication ignored people of color who lived in the U.S. and showed them as only as laborers and uh, domestic workers. And it pictured darker folks outside of the U.S. as exotics, half-naked, noble savages. Um, another theme was showing the noble savages being fascinated by Western technology. And uh, Nat Geo, he learned, uh, also had a policy of not showing anything unpleasant. Uh, so nothing like you know wars going on and uh and proof of this article uh proof of that was an article from the 60s that failed to uh talk about the sharpville massacre in uh, south africa in which uh, almost 70 uh black south africans were killed by police um and that article just had bl blacks in exotic clothing dancing or as servants and uh you know last but not least we cannot cannot forget how they portray darker skinned women always topless right and um professor mason says that he believes this was a selling point for the nat geo male readers because some of the topless women were shot in a way that resembled glamour shots and the professor says uh one way for nat geo to change their course is to limit westerners from telling us the reader about africa asian and latin american countries 
you know, and to start hiring globally, you know, specifically photographers to bring a unique and authentic vision. And I do agree with that. Um, after reading this article, I was like, damn, you know, this is really true. And another example of how a media, you know, uh, drives stereotypes of darker people of the world through a white lens. You know, it's just basically showing, you know, black folks, brown folks as savages. And uh, it always showed, you know, white folks, you know, as civilized, obedient, and they, you know, uh, the top brass, uh, you know, so to speak. And this up until the 70s um, that uh, that professor found that out. And that is just some wild shit right there for uh, Nat Geo to actually own up to it. And I'm, I'm very interested to uh, see what they do with this race issue. I wonder if they're going to talk about the uh, reemergence of like uh, race science and shit like that. And we saw that with uh, the Cheeto in Chief, you know, talking about Maxine Waters' low IQ. And that's just, you know, uh, a play on her being a mascot of all black folks. You know, usually when somebody is attacked in the media like that, that's a euphemism or a code word for all people. You know, when they attack a minority or not not a minority, a non-white person. So, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty wild, though. That's been selling uh, hope like dope. And like I said, I'm interested to see what's going to go on in this race issue and uh, what they're actually going to speak about and if they actually run an article about their bigoted history. This portion of Do-Rags and Boat Shoes has been brought to you by the letter L, as in, hey, yo, my guy, my hands are full. Give me a hand here. Can you hold this L? Alright, so moving on to holding this L, uh, who else we gotta give it to? We have to give it to the Cheeto and Chiefs administration, the Orange Julius Caesar just uh, fired his Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, uh, via Twitter. It was being reported that Rex didn't even know he was being fired, he don't know what for, and he just read that his replacement, you know, via Twitter from uh, the so-called President, uh, 45. <laughs> This shit ain't normal, y'all. This shit is nowhere near normal, so please don't let it become the norm. Uh, and then also, uh, so it was the CIA director that stepped up and is the Secretary of State, and now the new sec- uh, CIA director is a woman named Gina Haspel, and she's well known for running a torture site and destroying evidence of that torture uh, site. Gina Haspel. She oversaw a secret prison, a.k.a. a black site, in Thailand where they would torture suspected terrorists. So it was like waterboarding, sleep deprivation, having the suspected terrorists sleep in the coffin-like boxes. And the evidence was destroyed by Haspel and was given the green light, you know, to destroy all that evidence by Jose Rodriguez, who was the director of counterterrorism. And this was back in the early 2000s, post 9-11. You know, when Americans just gave up all their freedoms due to the Patriot Act, which is still in place today. And, you know, what's also crazy. The European Center for Constitutional and Human Rights has insisted that Germany's uh, public prosecutor uh, arrest Gina for her role in those crimes. And so if they do that, you know, uh, there might be she can't even do her job overseas. So she can't even spy or head overseas you know, uh, with uh, different countries looking for her to arrest her. And this is just a whole ass shit show. Just a whole ass shit show. 
and uh this is not getting easier it's getting pathetic it's getting sad we're only we're just a little bit uh over a year in this administration and it is just the whole ass shit show and the republican uh investigation into collusion with russia a probe about collusion uh nothing they uh uh miraculously they didn't find anything and i'm like get the fuck out of here y'all didn't find anything nothing at all because they wasn't looking for shit but uh i hope this is a wake-up call to all uh, americans and so-called americans here uh that this government is a joke the system is a joke and uh we really the power needs to come back to the people and the people need to realize how much power that they do have and i commend so many people out here who are getting into politics and realizing that uh it's a shit show if one thing donald trump has done is positively uh one thing that he has done positive positive is uh show us how much of a joke and how much uh you know how many of these politicians have sold their soul you know for a dollar and trying to do what they can to uh hoard more money you know they don't give a fuck about us paying their salary out of our tax dollars they just care about them corporations you know cutting them donation checks that's what they care about they don't work for the people and i hope everyone across the board on the left the right the centrist whoever just sees how much of a joke american politics is it's a fucking joke and it's we are the laughing stock of the world right now and hopefully people are comfortable with that because it seems like a lot of folks are you know, long as their team is the head of the government, they're okay with uh, working with a foreign power, having an idiot leader. You know, just as long as it's like, I'm right, I'm right. You know, they would rather sink this whole damn country, go down with the ship, you know, steering the ship into a fucking uh, iceberg. But it's disgusting, and that's, you know, there's nothing too much more to say, but, you know, this administration, those on the right, they really need to hold this L. You win. Perfect. All right, so moving on to Not All Heroes Wear Capes, we have to give it to uh, Tamika Mallory, uh, and that's the uh, co-chair of the Women's March. Um, she did not back down after she was facing criticism from a fellow feminists, and I say that in quotes, um, for attending Savior's Day in Chicago, which is always hosted by the, the fruit, uh, the NOI, the Nation of Islam. Uh, the 36-year-old has been attending this event for decades, and she states in her open letter that she works with many people of different ideologies to get results. And let me just read a part of this letter because it's very brilliant, brilliantly written. And, uh, you know, it's it's worth the read. So I'm going to read part of it. And she, so she starts off, I proudly serve as a leader uh, for one of the largest women's advocacy uh, organizations in the world. For that reason, my recent uh, presence at the Nation of Islam's uh, Savior's Day convocation troubled some of the very people who i have fought for and worked alongside for most of my life i have heard the pain and concerns of my lgbtqai siblings my jewish friends and black women including those who do and those who don't check off either of those boxes hmm. i affirm uh, the validity validity excuse me of those uh, feelings 
And as I continue to grow and learn as both an activist and as a woman, I would continue to grapple with the uh, complicated nature of working across ideological lines and the question of how to do so without causing harm to vulnerable people. Um, I didn't expect my presence at Savior's Day to lead anyone to question my beliefs, especially considering that I have been going to this event regularly for over 30 years. I first went with my parents when I was just a little girl and would begin to attend on my own after my son's father was murdered nearly 17 years ago. In that most difficult period of my life, it was the women of the Nation of Islam who supported me and I've always held them close to my heart for that reason. I am the same woman who helped to build an intersectional movement that fights for the rights of all people and stands against hatred and discrimination of all forms. I am the same person today that I was before Savior's Day, which begs the question, why are my beliefs being questioned now? And you can read the rest of the letter. Um, I'll have a link to uh, the uh, the uh, open letter on in the show notes. And, uh, you know, I commend her for uh, not going the route of President Obama or Representative Keith Ellison by denouncing the fruit to gain favor with the dominant society. And I'm going to tell you all this. You always stand in your truth and you never cower. So I salute this woman. It took a lot of heart to uh, write that open letter and to let people know what time it is. So Tamika Mallory, not all heroes wear capes. Some of them stand in their truth and they do not cower. So I have nothing but love and respect for this woman. All right. So moving on to the last portion of this show, health over wealth. You know what I say? Without your health, you cannot enjoy your wealth. Um... This, this quote comes from Oprah, uh, and this is going to tie into a study I was reading about um, that I'll have everything that I talk about on this show. There's always links in the show notes. I don't know if y'all noticed me doing that, but I really wanted to do that um, just so you can read certain the articles that I pick from and, uh, you know, form your own opinion. You know, I feel like too many times I feel like a lot of uh, shows, radio shows, podcasts, TV just kind of tells you what to think without giving you sources and things of that sort so i want you to just go ahead and look at some of the sources uh you know that influence each uh segment of the show and the topics that i talk about and go ahead read them for yourself and um you know form your own opinion and do some hunting yourself and see what you come up with and uh you know it's all about being a, a great critical thinker so but this quote in health over wealth uh comes from oprah and she says where there is no struggle there is no strength now, that's a great quote, and we're going to tie it in and talk about um, an emotional tax. And that's a tax that non-whites and uh, women pay for at work and in other you know, areas of activity. Um, Catalyst is a, a nonprofit that works with top companies on how to build workplaces that work for women. And they did this great study on the emotional tax in the workplace. Uh, Danica uh, J. Travis and Jennifer Thorpe uh, Moskin, they're both PhDs, so Dr. Travis and Dr. Thorpe Moskin are the ones who conducted the study. And this actually builds on another study that Catalyst did by Dr. Travis on uh, black men and women with emotional attacks in the workplace and how it affected them. And um, so what is an emotional tax? So most people, you know, black folks know it as the black tax, a.k.a. You know, you working harder, twice as hard to get half of what they got. 
but they defined it in this study as an emotional tax is the combination of feeling different from peers at work because of gender, race, ethnicity, and the associated effects on health, well-being, and the ability to thrive at work. These experiences can be uh, uh, particularly acute for people of color who fear being stereotyped, uh, receiving unfair treatment, or feeling like the other. Um, so i.e. like set apart from colleagues because of some aspect of the identity such as gender race or ethnicity while most experiences of uh, otherness are detrimental a lifetime of being marginalized can have uniquely potent effects including on health and well-being so that's what an emotional tax is and they have a bunch of examples and I have one myself. It actually happened to me on Sunday. You know, you guys know I'm a truck driver, delivery driver. And so uh, Sunday night, I was delivering to one of my Walmarts and I had on my work hoodie, had the hood up because it was cold. It was late at night. My Sundays are usually about 12 to 14 hours. And um, so, you know, I get to the back door, to the receiving door, got my paperwork in hand and it's a well lit area and there's a camera. So the person can see who's standing outside the door and the fucking lady gonna yell, you know, what do you want uh, through a through the crack of the door? And this lady has let me in numerous times. And here I am with this big ass uh, with this hoodie on with my logo that you can clearly see on my hoodie. And I'm holding paperwork. And, um, you know, and, and so, you know, I yell, you know, my company who it is. And then as soon as she opens the door, I'm like, you treat me like a common criminal. And then she just kind of laughs it off. And, you know, that's just a little microaggression right there. You know, having being bold enough to just saying, what do you want and shit like that? You know, so then I don't think nothing of it. But then a white guy comes to the door and she lets him right in. And then she asks him face to face, you know, what does he want and what does he have? You know, they have a camera right outside the door so you can see who's outside. And I know what y'all thinking. It's dark. I'm a big motherfucker. I have a menacing size. And I had my hood up on your hoodie. Well, first off, you know, there was plenty of employees in the back room with her. Other guys unloading trucks. Like that whole back room team was back there unloading trucks. And there was a few managers back there. Male managers also, too, with her. And two, my company logo is on my hoodie and it's visible on camera. And I'm holding my freight paperwork. At three, I'm going to keep it all the way 100. I'll be damned if I'm scared to wear my hood up in public. You know, I don't care about people being uneasy around me. It says more about you than me. You know, I know I can be uh, mistaken for a thug or a criminal, but if it's fucking cold, I'm going to have my fucking hood up. That's what the purpose of the hood is for. You know, I'm really going to be out here robbing fucking Walmart stores wearing my work uniform with my name etched in on the hoodie. And my company logo, like, fuck out of here, you know. Um, but let me read y'all some examples of uh, what some of these folks have been going through. Like, uh, there's a Latina. She's a first level manager named Sandra. And her quote is, uh, being the only one of a different culture in my workplace, I'm constantly on guard, particularly when racist jokes come up or talk about the presidential election i'm always on guard so therefore i have to take a breath breather outside take a break or just mentally take myself out of the situation and think positive things about my family my kids and ignore what i cannot change and then there's a mixed woman named tina she's black and latina so she's an afro latina she said i work from home 
so none of my callers can see me, but based on the sound of my voice, they assume I am a young Caucasian female, and so they are very comfortable making very racist comments against different nationalities. I have to pretend that I am not offended, and I am encouraged by my superiors to suppress my true identity. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's actually, uh, pretty fitting if y'all seen the trailer for that new movie, um, Sorry to Bother You, that's been popping up all over social media, comes out this summer, and it has the brother from, uh, Get Out and from Atlanta, and, uh, it's a weird comedy, dramedy, I don't know what it is, but there's a scene of him working in a call center, and he's not making any calls, and then Danny Glover is sitting next to him, and he tells him he has to use his white voice. And Danny shows him how to use his white voice. And what's fucking funny is Danny Glover moving his mouth. But they actually had they dubbed a white man over his voice. And so, like, the, the movie is shot pretty dope, though, too. And it shows the brother uh, from ATL and from Get Out using his white voice. And it's like him sitting at a desk with a headset on. But he's in these people's home. Like, really? Like, it's just showing, like, you know, just... Uh, um, just trying to it's a cinematic trick just to show that uh like he's really there and these people are enjoying what he's selling and shit like that but you know this it says a lot about uh the dominant society you know when they are so comfortable thinking that they're speaking with a white person over the phone um you know they start cracking bigoted jokes and all this other shit and it's just like yo what's the big deal you know it's just like when i speak to my friends you know we not up here just cracking jokes about different races and nationalities and shit like that we're not doing shit like that and it's very odd that uh you know the dominant society would do shit like that you know i'm not saying all but it's it's, it's quite a bit you know it's like when um you, when you walk in a room full of white folks at your job or something like a get together or something then all of a sudden it gets quiet because you're the only person of color there you know, or a woman walks in front of in a room full of men and it gets really quiet. You know, it's one of those things and you're just like, oh, so they was doing some shit that they ain't supposed to be doing. You know what I'm saying? So this this is a very striking uh, uh, study here. Uh, very, 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 very amazing. And, uh, you know, what's uh, very uh, interesting about this is... Uh, you know, I do feel like this study, you know, should be shared and sent to every human resources department in America. You know, non-whites and women are finally getting, you know, to the tipping point. We're seeing more and more of these studies um, and uh, overall articles of resistance uh, and are, you know, people are done accepting nonsense that makes the good old boys club feel comfortable. You know, that go along to get along shit is outdated. You know, also the emotional tax is bad for your health. You know, you have to be unapologetically you and never, you know, hold anything in. So you always want to express your frustrations, you know, in a way where you are educating and warning the perpetrator that you that you only get one. You know, you, you get this one. You know, next time we might we go, we're going to have to shoot the fair one out in the parking lot, you know. So you have to really take care of yourself. These are for the non-whites and for the women. Take care of yourself and stop putting up with bullshit. And it has some uh, some great statistics in here, uh, too. Um, you know, it, it was talking about uh, how people are always on guard. Um, and it said that about uh, 64% of black men are always on guard at work. 
about 58% of black women, uh, 51%, actually Asians were the lowest at about 51%, men and women equally, you know, felt like they had to be on guard all the time at work. Um, Latin women, about 56%, Latin men, about 60%. And then a multiracial people, they were pretty low, about 52% for women and 54% for men. And this is about a pool of about 1,600 uh, people. And uh, let's see what else. Um, so they also have some stats on why people are, were always on guard and mainly had to do with race. Um, and then, you you know, you're anticipating. That's that's what on guard means. You're just anticipating somebody going to say something fucked up to you. You know, like if you're a black woman first starting out on a job, you know, you know that fucking uh, uh, Carolyn who's your fucking uh neighbor you know in the cubicle next to you is just going to come up to you and assume how many kids you got even though you're fresh out of you know college and you're just doing this uh this this little nine to five to keep the lights on and to actually find a job in your degree field and you ain't got no damn kids she you know carolyn comes up to you so how many kids do you have you know it's not do you have any kids it's just how many kids do you have it's something like that so you anticipate shit like that happening or you a big black man you know working at a job and it's just like you know oh how many times do you play basketball you know what gym do you go to you know how many you know did you play any uh you know you, you play some ball in uh high school and college right you know so shit like that and uh let's see here men of color this they also had a little portion talking about on guard because of uh their gender you know as far as uh um that duality of being a black man a latin man an asian man and you know having to deal with those stereotypes so it gave some examples like uh latinos hispanics uh especially those of like mexican national origin they had to deal with stereotypes uh that describe them as emotional and macho you know uh, like toxic masculinity they may be seen as too aggressive and too dominant and at the same time you know uh they it said uh, latino men can feel uh compelled to perform you know uh you know to live up to those macho norms and it also said about black men, uh, you know, they're often stereotyped as aggressive and hostile. Um, and, you know, and it said that research demonstrates that people associate violence and street crime with black people. So behaviors that are regarded as assertive, you know, when performed by white men may be seen as aggressive when enacted by black men. But on the flip side, with Asian men, they were stereotyped uh, as, you know, passive and non-dominant. And when they act more assertively, contradicting that stereotype, you know, uh, sometimes they will be penalized at work. So uh, that, that was that was pretty deep right there. And then another interesting thing that they found in this study was a. Uh, they found that people who are always on guard, uh, meaning they are prepared, you know, for some bullshit that comes their way, they are uh, also the most creative and they uh, persevere through extreme difficulties. Now, let me say that again. So people who are always on guard are also the most creative and they persevere through extreme difficulties. Now, who does that remind you of? Black folks. You know, we are some of the most creative people on the planet. 
and how we persevered through poverty has been nothing short of amazing. You know, from the trends that we set, going back to like bagging clothes, and you know how that started, and that was actually a trend. It wasn't even a trend like that. It's just you wearing your your brother's or your dad's hand-me-downs. You know what I'm saying? That's what that that's where them big ass baggy clothes came from. And then eating chitlins and shit like that, and now it's acceptable to eat all these you know pig guts and all this other shit and you got white folks eating fucking pig ears and stuff like that in high-end restaurants you know using different parts of the pig and you know so we made our survival techniques go mainstream and just with us being so creative you know that's why we abandon so much that we create then we get mad when someone that doesn't look like us picks up something we didn't dropped and cashes out on it and that brings us you know to like what was going on on twitter a few days ago in the social media uh with the bruno mars brouhaha you know people were talking about it was cultural appropriation with him and all this other shit even though he is a mutt mixed with everything up under the sun and he always pays homage to those who came before him and he recognizes that you know music in general is just an african creation right and uh so people are like oh this is cultural appropriation yada 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 that just shows that you really don't understand what it is and um with this whole bruno mars situation uh it's puzzling to me and I feel like that's an easy target. You know, it's easy to pick on another non-white, you know, sit up on a plantation and argue and shit like that. You know, it's very easy to do some shit like that, to uh, bully someone who, who kind of looks like you, who's, who's not part of the dominant society because you're not going to get any uh, pushback and things like that. So, uh, you know, just odd shit. But I really want y'all to go through, and I'm going to put the uh, PDF link of this study that Catalyst did. And there's also um, a little video of uh, Dr. Travis speaking about uh, what she found in the study of uh, black men and women in the workplace with the emotional tax. And, you know, it is very taxing to be a person of color living under this system and this uh, social hierarchy that America has going on right now. It's very taxing and so you have to have an outlet you have to get this shit up out your system you know a lot of us are damaged uh, from dealing with bullshit and you always have that fucking chip on your shoulder which is an emotional tax um, just how this study just breaks it down and you deal with it in all aspects of life because of the uh, racial hierarchy the social hierarchy that we have in place that needs to be dismantled and it just seems like people are just getting really frustrated with it and i think that's the, one of the main reasons that black folks really be passing away at an early age due to like heart disease and uh, high blood pressure and just different diseases like that is just because it's stress induced it is stressful being a non-white in america it is very stressful because you can be killed at the drop of a dime you know and nothing will be done you know the media portrays you in a certain way you're always trying to explain your history you're always trying to uh show the world uh the world that you live in that you're a human being and you don't do bullshit and uh it's just very stressful to live your life like that so just you know, it's one of those things where you have to hold your head up high and you have to live and you have to, you know, have an outlet and you have to have a support group. So, um, but I think that's pretty much all I got for this episode of Do Rags and Boat Shoes. I know health over wealth was a little bit deep, 
but uh, I just found that study to be just so damn fantastic. I read it probably about three, four times, and it was very interesting for me to see what other groups have to deal with also. You know, and it's pretty much y'all got to deal with the same bullshit. So why don't y'all come together and start a fucking, you know, rainbow coalition, a real one to dismantle this social hierarchy? You see what I'm saying? But you got so many uh, Latin folks, Latin ex folks hopping on that goddamn coon train. And I broke that down in um, what, about 15 episodes ago. Uh, about 12 15 episodes ago why mexicans consider themselves white why they check off that box and um you know asians too how they be out here just trying to be the you know the uh, model minority and how they have that stigma going on but a lot of them try to live up to that bullshit you know just uh smiling and you know doing all this other shit and speaking of the chinese what the fuck is wrong with them uh there was a website that's the equivalent of rotten tomatoes and atlanta black star ran an article and some other publications did too and they uh you know translated the uh the uh, the chinese website to english and it was talking about how black the movie black panther was so black you know, it was just too black for them. There was dark-skinned people fighting at night. You know, just trying to be funny and cute. You know what I'm saying? And these are some people who uh, basically, they, they envy white folks. They envy the skin color. They envy the eye shape, the hair color. You know, it, it's something, you know, a lot of those Asians just want to be, you know, pets up under white folks. You know, so it just shows that this social hierarchy system is global and uh, y'all deal with the same bullshit that our black asses deal with. And y'all need to get off that goddamn coon train. Y'all really do, because it's not getting you anywhere. You know, you're getting a couple of uh, pats on the head here and there. But at the end of the day, this study shows you what a lot of white folks think of y'all. So you might as well just join the other non-whites and the non-racist white folks and just try to produce a system of justice where your skills speak for themselves and not you kissing some white ass. But that's all I got to say. Uh, this has been episode 117 of Do Rags and Boat Shoes. And to my listeners, I love y'all. I have nothing but love and respect for y'all. And I will see y'all next week. If you have any questions, comments, feedbacks, uh, feedbacks, <laughs> feedback, hit me up at do rags and boat shoes at gmail.com. One.